Hello, 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 people! Welcome to the Shiny Happy People podcast. It's another week. It's been over a year since this damn pandemic. So I hope everyone's doing really well, staying healthy, and staying positive. Remember, it's going to get better. Hopefully soon. Okay, so today is an interview segment. We've got a cool guest. I'm for those of you who are regular listeners. I dropped a couple of hints in our last insights ten and ten about our guest. He's going to be joining us all the way from Austin, Texas, doing some really cool stuff. So this interview is a little different from the previous ones. Um, it was done in two parts because it was done way back in February, and. Um, we started to do the interview and our guest had an internet outage because of this snowstorm out in Austin and we had to reschedule it and we got him back for the second part so you'll see a little bit of a sound quality difference between the first and the second it was fun but we managed to get it done so let's go into the interview right after the break Our guest for this week's podcast is someone I've gotten to know in the last six to eight months. One of the advantages of the pandemic is uh, that you're we're making connections virtually with so many more people. So our guest today is Douglas Ferguson, who's an entrepreneur and human-centered technologist with over 20 years of experience. He is dialing in from all the way from Austin, Texas, which is right in the middle of an unprecedented snowstorm. So Douglas, welcome to the podcast. Hey, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. And how are you doing there? I, you, you and I were discussing offline. Luckily, you have power, but when do you think you'll get your internet and all of that stuff back? Oh, gosh, it's hard to say. We're going to warm up this weekend, so we'll come back this weekend, and then I'll have to start... Uh, Cleaning up the property, we got a lot of trees down. It might be a might be a few weeks before everything's like totally back to normal. Okay, yeah. Well, I hope uh, it all gets better soon for you. So a little bit more about mm, Douglas. So uh, let me introduce you a bit more to our listeners. So Douglas is um, in the same profession as I am in the whole field of facilitation. He is a master facilitator in design sprints, innovation acceleration, does a lot of stuff on team alignment, meeting system, and uh, change transformation. He's pretty active in the Austin startup community. Uh, I think you serve on a board of uh, several nonprofits, you're mentoring startups, and you're advising early stage ventures as well. So in the midst of all of this snowstorm, must be interesting to try to keep your business running on top of everything, right? Yeah, it, I've been running the business through uh, through my iPhone and uh, one bar of cell service. <laughs> and, uh, you know, a lot of it's just had to be put on hold or canceled, but, you know, trying to keep the critical things in motion. Yeah, I can, I can imagine. So for all our listeners, if you see him fading in and out, now you know why. Uh, <laughs> you're getting <laughs> all the broadcast coming in from the midst of the snowstorm. 
great. So, so Douglas, let's get right into this. So I would love to know, and I'm sure our listeners would, what's your journey into this facilitation? How did you get into this? How did you end up becoming a facilitator? Yeah, it, I, for years, I was a software developer. Um, back in the mid-90s, I was writing software for startups. And, um, you know, straight out of school, I ended up getting a job for a, a small startup that at the time was building something not that dissimilar to Facebook. There, it was a bit more of a micro social network. And we didn't even have the word social network back then. But uh, I got bit by the startup bug and, you know, spent years working for startups and founding some of my own. And through all of that work, uh, I was always really fascinated by, you know, design, um, how we solve complex problems um, by bringing people together to collaborate on solutions and understanding how we might innovate and and bring new um, capabilities to the world. Also, I had a really deep passion for, um, you know, methods and tools to help collaboration, help people work better together. And through the years, uh, amassed a lot of um, tools and techniques. And when I decided to go out on my own and be a consultant, um, I started to uh, dabble in some of the stuff and the world of facilitation started to expose itself more as I was starting to think about my offerings to my clients and um, and so I started to realize that I had this identity that I'd never really had a word for because uh, all that time I'd been facilitating my, co- my teams at my company, uh, but I just hadn't really associated with that term. And so once I was out on my own uh, building my consultancy uh, is when I really started to tap into a lot of these silos around um, how people viewed facilitation. So there was, you know, there was the game storming community, there was design thinking community, there were architects doing design shreds, uh, there's the liberating structures community, the IAF community, um, authentic relating. There's so many different approaches to facilitation and bringing people together to solve problems and, and to explore challenges together. And I think that just opened up a whole new world to me and I found, uh, found that identity. Really interesting. By the way, there's a parallel there that maybe I wasn't aware of about you and maybe you weren't aware of. So I started my career in the mid-90s as well as a COBOL programmer. (laughs) So in the technology space. And it's really interesting. For me, what pulled me away from writing code was I enjoyed the human dynamics a lot more than the uh, logic of code, for example. I, I don't know if that was the same for you. I just like the interaction of a bunch of us programmers getting in a room together and ideating and brainstorming more than writing the code. Was was it similar for you as well? Well, you know, it's it's funny. There's a few different dynamics there. Um, I'm I'm a problem solver. I love really challenging problems, and so writing code definitely um, presented lots of challenges. You know, there's constantly new barriers and new puzzles to solve. Um, But working with humans is uh, probably the most challenging or most paradoxical of challenges. And to me, that's uh, that's really, I think, what sucked me into this work is how to how to um, just constantly be confronted with uh, really wicked problems. And how, how do we navigate that together? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I kind of resonate to that same thing. 
uh, I always found that when I got a when there was a group of people together and we were pushing, pulling to solve the same problem, the collective, you know, we we talk about it in the facilitation, right? The collective wisdom of the group. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I used to just love that, and that got me into the human side of everything. But uh, so I guess there must be a whole bunch of programmers like us out there doing this stuff. So maybe we need to find a support group <laughs> or something, yeah. right? <laughs> At least we know two now, and I'm sure there's a few more. Um, so you got you into this, and I know you ended up, and I didn't mention it earlier. So you are the founder and president of Voltage Control, which is a Austin-based facilitation agency. So what was the genesis of that? How did that get started? Because I heard you say you started as an independent consultant first. Yeah, you know, my vision was to be a fractional CTO. And so, you know, being a CTO for lots of startups, I thought, um, why not um, help out other startups rather than go start another one of my own? Part of it was uh, preservation of energy and, and just the experience of change of pace because I had been kind of building startups um, kind of over and over again and just wasn't sure I was ready to go do another. And I thought, let me just take my wisdom and my experience to to others that um, maybe you can't afford to bring in someone senior because there's this trend in startups to, you know, conserve costs and, you know, especially non-technical founders will often bring in someone really junior and maybe give them the title of CTO, but they just don't have the experience, have, have, don't have the battle scars. And uh, so my vision was to come in, help those folks and even help the CEO understand when that person is doing just fine, but the circumstances are just not great or when that person's struggling and might need some assistance. And, uh, and so I did that for a bit, but as I was exploring this newfound world of facilitation and these capabilities that, um, that I loved and, and enjoyed so much when working with teams, it started to crystallize for me more that, um, that really the, the work that I loved doing and what, where I wanted to build an agency was around uh, helping teams experience change, help them find um, cultural shifts that they need to uh, to embrace to to get the results they want, and ultimately that involves a lot of facilitation, a lot of training, a lot of introspection, uh, and bringing people together to to explore the future. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, interesting. A follow up question on that one because I want to go one level deeper. So, when you are out facilitating, what's the one thing that gives you the facilitators high, maybe if I want to call it that, like a runner's high. So what's the one thing that when you get up in the morning and say, this is what gets me going when you're working with a group? For me, it's really that spark, the moment when people realize that they've made some connection. It could be a connection to one another, a connection to the future, the opportunity. Uh, If they solve that problem, they've been stuck on it, they've been trying to get their hands around and uh, it's, it's always really magical. You know, we talk about our mission being helping rid the world of horrible meetings. And if we can bring people together in a moment of true connection where real results are happening and they're seeing their, their hopes and, and visions come to life, that's really what excites me. And um, at the end of the day, I think that um, anytime we can create that connection, it's really what brings meaning for me. Yeah, I, I absolutely relate with you with that one. Similar for me as well. And and I don't know if this happens to you, but when we work with a group, by the end of the day, I'm 
absolutely exhausted sometimes just watching <laughs> the people you're watching the dynamic because we we play the role of observers as well right uh, mm. and i have such a great night sleep though a combination of exhaustion as well as the high of having made an impact with the group i don't know if that's the same for you percent it's sort of like being out um, you know when you go out and spend a day on the lake or at the beach and you're in the sun and um, it's just so much uh, uh, positive energy and and you're just like really active and I mean it's the same thing at the end of the day you're just co- totally wiped and a lot of it has to do with the amount of sheer energy you're expending in active listening yes yeah I, I agreed. Okay, we lost Douglas and for our listeners, we actually lost him for about 10 days. Uh, we got disconnected right after I asked that question last time. And it's not that we didn't warn our listeners. So welcome back, Douglas. Hey, it's good to be back. <laughs> With all your utilities up and running, right? That's right. Okay, so let's start from where we left off. My my question to you was, have you come across situations, uh, I'm sure we all have, but I'd love to hear any stories you have where the group just went way beyond what they thought they could do, or even the other where it was just such a dysfunctional and you kind of went, yep, uh, maybe we need to take a different approach here. So the good and the bad and maybe the ugly as well. Any experiences, stories you can share? Yeah, you know, the, the one story that comes to mind was with a group out of D.C. here in the U.S. that um, were just a bit curious about what the design sprint might unlock for them and what they might be able to accomplish as a team. And they came together, and uh, I think – some of the critical moments for them were, you know, during the expert interviews on day one, when we're getting aligned on the problem and clear on the target that we're going to solve for and, you know, where the focus of the sketching and prototype might be. And during those expert interviews, they were talking to people from the organization that, you know, they, they've seen in the halls, they're familiar with, they're friends with, they were talking about the project and the needs of other folks in the organization in ways that, it just um, were, was really mind boggling for lots of folks in the room because they just hadn't thought about it in that way before. And they haven't, haven't heard that perspective and didn't see those needs. And I can just literally see the light bulbs going off. And, um, and then that permeated into their sketches and just built a ton of excitement around um, the concepts that went into the prototype. And then even during testing, when they they started to realize that they still hadn't quite got it right, but they were still now so passionate about getting it right and understanding the the um, the needs of others. So just watching the empathy um, grow in people, and as they started to understand why it's important to think in those ways, and um, they're learning it firsthand rather than you know, someone conceptually just telling them, oh, this is important, do it, you know, to, to really think about the user and be empathetic. They're actually watching these things emerge and, you know, the epiphanies are just um, landing for them left and right. And to me, that transformation is huge. And people start to show up in new ways because their passion and their interests start to really um, build excitement and enthusiasm toward the work. 
Uh, and then the fascinating thing was I checked in with a VP after the workshop, maybe a couple of weeks or so. And the thing she told me was I learned so much about the capabilities of my team that week. And I said, Oh, that's interesting. Tell me more. And when she went on to talk and, you know, elaborate, the thing that became clear was that there, there were skills on the team. There were passions, there were abilities, there were thoughts, there were concerns, there were interests that she had never become aware of because they hadn't worked in such a collaborative way before. And, you know, this is not stuff that's just going to kind of emerge in a one-on-one. You know, we got to roll up our sleeves and do some hard work and experience some conflict together and go through um, the deep exercise of true collaboration for some of those things to emerge. So I thought that was really powerful. She's going to, you know, teed her up to be a better manager for the team um, because she now knew where she could set them up and um, let them go and let them just blossom. Interesting. Yeah. And and I was just, my brain did a little tangent when you said wash DC VP, she, I was thinking it's not a political party. That group that, right? <laughs> no, no. no, no, I'm just kidding. No, this I, is a, I was being no, silly this there. A, uh, yeah. This is a uh, organization that helps um, developing countries, um, you know, fund and infrastructure projects. So, you know, very much a um, investment bank kind of organization. Nice. nice. Yeah. No, but just I was being silly there. But uh, on the other side, what about, uh, you know, I've had cases where you kind of go, yeah, maybe I didn't contract with this group or I overestimated this group's uh, intent or, or whatever. But have you come across situations where the dysfunctions of a group just got in the way? Yeah, I mean, it happens a lot. And I, I think the thing is, as facilitators, you know, one of the things we we train for our facilitation workshops are... Um, this notion of anti-fragile agendas or adaptable agendas. And we, we encourage folks to walk in with the plan, but if we are too rigid with our plan, then it can really backfire on us because if we run into a room that's not quite what we assist, then we you know, we're probably not going to be prepared to react or respond in a way that um, it will get us to our journey. And I think one of the things that we, we recommend comes from learning science. And um, we actually built a, a canvas around this called the learning experience design canvas. And it's using learning experience design principles, learning science, you know, brain chemistry science to provide a set of tools set of steps to think about how we design for um, a learning experience and i would argue that any workshop any meeting we're we're holding is a learning experience even if you're trying not intentionally um, seeking to train people because if we're going to do good work we need to learn the other people's perspective we need to learn um, how these uh, we need to learn and be in a learning mindset around the things we're hearing as far as options and criteria and potential outcomes. And so the same things that will prevent us from 
um, being in a good learning mindset are, the, are going to interfere with our ability to make decisions and collaborate, et cetera. And so, so we really encourage looking at, um, at the outcome and then working yourself backwards. So um, looking at where you want to get to, where, who's showing up in the room and then how, and then how you, what milestones you might need to hit to get to that point. And then, uh, and then kind of looking at that and thinking, all right, well, what's another way to do it? And then what's another way to do it? And if you got all these different routes, it doesn't matter if they shut, shut down I-35, I'm still going to be able to get downtown because I can take Mopac or, or I can go around and I can take, you know, 440 if it's like, uh, really problematic. And so, um, you know, even if those road numbers don't mean anything to you, I'm sure your local commute, you know, your local commute is the same way, right? You've got yeah. different routes you can take and it's because you've looked and you planned and you react to it. So there's a similar kind of thing, you know, even, even so sometimes no matter how um, resilient you are um, and a lot of it comes down to maturity of the organization. Um, a lot of it comes down to maturity of the organization, the people that are showing up, um, the psychological safety in that organization. Um, if you're bringing two different organizations together, it can be really interesting to navigate because now you've got two cultures that are coming together in some way that the outcome could be somewhat unpredictable, right? Because they don't, um, they're not, uh, it hasn't been studied. We don't have evidence of what that's going to be like necessarily. And, you know, I've had situations, I can think of one occurrence where there was a, uh, a group that was working with um, some folks that were um, from a different culture. So these are two different countries working together and the, <laughs> the foreign country that, you know, with English as a second language was remoted in via zoom. And this was four years ago. So this is, you know, back before pandemic, back before most people even knew what zoom was so they were remoted in. The English wasn't their first language. You know, someone showed up late. The, <laughs> the person that had brought me in clearly had a lot of skepticism about our process and why, why, why we were approaching things the way we were approaching them and was, was so verbally and in the room. And, you know, I was trying every counter move I could you know, in the spirit of judo, I was trying to just go with the momentum and, and flow. And I could not redirect the energy no matter what I tried. I tried every trick I knew. There's so much, so much stuff just going wrong. And then finally, I handed over the reins to my junior assistant. And in an act of humility. And everything shifted. For whatever reason the dynamics between me and that person in that leadership position was just unhealthy and I could not put my finger on it. And no matter what I did, I couldn't correct it. As soon as I delegated the room to my peer, to my, to my understudy, things shifted immediately. So, you know, I guess my point in telling the story is sometimes you just can't even explain what's happening it, you, you use the best tools possible and things are going sideways and uh, you always go in with a sense of humility and whatever gets the job done, gets the job done. And, um, you know, I still to this day just chalk it up to uh, that person just didn't like me. 
no, but they, but but it's interesting you say that because there is chemistry involved there, right? There's got to be that rapport. We've got to be on the same frequency, as we say, as they That's say. Right. But it's true. It's it's agility, flexibility, uh, being at uh, you know being humble, and maybe that's where co-facilitation plays such a huge role because when you've got that uh, co-facilitator who brings a different style, they may connect with people that you're not connecting well and vice versa. Uh, I, I think it's so critical, but that's a great example. And, and that's why I asked that we all have uh, dysfunctional, humans behave the way they do and it's up to us as facilitators to find a way around it and being fluid is so critical. You're listening to the Shiny Happy People podcast. Subscribe to us on your favorite platforms. This podcast is sponsored by C2COD, your organizational development consulting partner, bringing people and strategy together. Follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and Facebook using the handle at C2COD and get updates on our upcoming episodes. But, you know, it's interesting you brought that up that four years ago you were doing this thing with Zoom. So let me let me pivot to the last year or so. I mean, I'm guessing a lot of the examples you shared, BC and others earlier, were all about face-to-face. How is it, how's the pivot to virtual facilitation and bringing groups together been for you? Yeah, it's, it's fascinating. Um, it's almost a year ago to this day that we're rec- recording this, that um, it all started to transpire. The, the, the start for me was when I was traveling to um, Columbus in early February last year to, uh, to do a design sprint training. And um, there was, there was conversations around whether South by would be closed or not. And we we're already getting a little bit concerned about, is it safe to travel? You know, I, I was, I was following this stuff very cl- closely, very early on. Um, once I came back from Columbus, um, we actually hosted a workshop for South by with capital factory here in Austin to explore how we d- look at having a safe experience at South by doing some really cool techniques uh, around improv prototyping. So we would present some scenarios and people would practice what it would be like to respond to those scenarios so that we could, you know, when we go to the conference, we could do it in a safe way. Um, Literally during that workshop, the mayor canceled South by. And you talk about a shift in a workshop. We got here. We have everyone really optimistic we're the conference is going to happen. We're going to have a good time, but we're going to do it safely. You know, that was, that was the mission of the workshop. And then in the, in the middle, while everyone is practicing these behaviors and thinking about how they're going to show up, it gets canceled. <laughs> and so that was, uh, that was probably one of the biggest, you know, just paradoxical like experiences of a workshop I've ever been in. Um, and then, then fast forward um, just a week and I'm, at the last workshop that we ever do in person in Tampa. And um, it's becoming clearer and clearer to me that, that, that things are, you know, uh, untenable. Um, so I phone home and I tell them we need to, we need to shift the organization. Um, and then from that point on, it was just folk, 100% focus on remote. Um, we brought the facilitation community together into a massive um 
workshop around the, the future facilitation. We had 200, 250 people in that workshop, um, which was amazing. That was a lot of people to have a mural, especially before they added the new performance and, uh, boost stuff they were working on. Um, and so it, it was interesting, you know, and, and the thing that surfaced is the number one trend and focus at once we like dissected all those stickies and synthesized through everything was that the sense of connection. And there was even this worry of some people that will we lose the, this in-person experience because people get used to working remotely and digitally and they just don't care for it anymore. So there's real um, fear of loss around it never coming back. And, um, or, you know, the experience of doing this stuff digitally changes us in some, some way that's irreversible. Um, even maybe even having, um, negative impacts on their psychology or brain chemistry. It's really fascinating just to hear all the things that people were concerned about. And, um, but for us, you know, we were a remote team, fully distributed. We had been using zoom since, you know, uh, gosh, I think I started using it in 2016, um, as just my you know, preferred video conferencing tool just because it actually worked. And, um, you know, we did not do virtual workshops though. We used Mural and Zoom for internal collaborations, um, internal workshops, or like prospecting sales kinds of workshops. Cause you know, we wouldn't necessarily fly to a prospect to go pitch them on something just right. um, on the um, suspicion that they might be interested in us doing a workshop. And so, um, so what we had to do is we had to retool all our marketing. We had to retool our courses. We had to support our community to make sure they were getting heard and they had opportunities to show up and experiment. Um, so we started doing our monthly meetup weekly so that we could hold a, a space for people to, to, to work through all of this uncertainty. Cause you know, there are plenty of folks in our um, community that struggled much worse than we did because they, you know, never used any technology, literally their technology were, um, were, were marker special markers from Germany and flip boards or like sheets of paper that they would scroll out on the wall. Um, and so they had to really explore um, this new world and so we were happy to, you know, create um, a space for them to ha do that every Thursday at Facilitation Lab. And, um, and then, of course, there's the economic concerns of lots of customers just um, dealing with the uncertainty of what it means to, to just navigate all of this and, you know, being unclear around how the markets would respond. And so a lot of cl clients got, uh, you know, really quiet <laughs> and a lot of uh, work that was already booked and scheduled got canceled. And, um, and it was, it was really kind of, um, you know, a, a lot having to navigate that from a, from a, a marketing and, and a tooling perspective. And then just from a sales perspective, but I'll right. say that, that things really turned the corner around Q4 really started to open up. Um, and, you know, I'll, I'll say that the majority of our business throughout the entire um, pandemic has been, you know, a lot of interest in training. So we've still been doing a lot of workshops where people can come and learn and also a lot of still a lot of design sprints. So people still still very interested in coming and having us do design sprints. But, you know, a lot of the um, custom random 
um, meetings and things uh, kind of took, definitely took a big, big hit. And also all of our big gatherings where, you know, we'd, we'd hold, we, we had to do our conference virtually this year. We, we haven't been yeah, hosting. I'll, I'll come to that in a minute. Boot but camps with Jake. So, yeah. yeah. No, but I think you're right. I think we all, it, this is universal trend that I'm seeing with the story you're sharing, right? I've talked to people in Europe, Asia, US, South America. Same, when pandemic hit for a while, it was just crickets, silence, and then a lot of experimenting in-house, getting ourselves up to speed. And then it's like, uh, you know, ostriches, clients lifting their head out of the sand and saying, okay, what's out there? And then coming back and, and Q4 started to get better. But coming, uh, and, and it's, I, I don't know if it's the same for you, but it's been a little lot more positive since January, uh, since we started the year. More clients waking up and saying, let's try it out, right? I think they were doing the same uh, uh, as well in-house, just getting everybody comfortable with technology. Uh, but, you know, you mentioned the virtual conference and thank you for the... Uh, privilege of being a speaker at the big conference that you guys organized to control the room. So how was it? I, I'm, I'm guessing that was the first real large, because it used to be face-to-face from what I gather annually, and you pivoted it to being a brilliant digital conference, which I really enjoyed. But how was that putting it together? Uh, you had backstage, green rooms. It was great. Uh, I loved it as a as a presenter, but I can guess from an organizer's perspective, it must have taken a lot of work. Uh, love to hear from you. Yeah, it, you know, um, one thing that I really focused on for the conference was that we wanted to make sure that we designed the experience we wanted to deliver to our community versus just, you know, grabbing some virtual conference platform and just kind of throwing it at them. And I think that's where a lot of conferences are failing right now. And in general, I think it's just a bad approach to take with tooling, right? I mean, imagine that you you went to the hardware store and you got some power tool and you're like, okay, how, I'm going to let how this power tool works dictates how I'm going to build my house. <laughs> right? You'd never do that, right? You design your house with an architect on some paper, and then you put the plans together, and then you go find the tools that can allow you to execute it. But I think that because virtual and um, is, is new, especially virtual conferences, like are pretty new and, and foreign to people, it becomes, it's daunting and scary. And, you know, it's the question arises like, oh, how are we going to do this? And what's even possible? And so then they research some tools and it's like, okay, this tool seems to make some great claims and they have like lots of great like testimonials. Let's use this tool. And then you get into the tool and the tool starts like, like showing you the pathway. And that's kind of, it, it seems like the simple way to go. It's like, okay, we made that choice and we'll just do what this tool does. And, um, and just kind of experiencing through our facilitation labs, kind of how some of those tools work and looking at the cost and expense of some of those tools, it just, um, it just didn't make sense to me. And also there's this phenomenon where, you know, Zoom's become so ubiquitous. Um, you know, there's teams and other tools too that people use quite often, but if someone's using a tool they're not familiar with 
And you can be you can be pretty safe to guarantee that if you're using a conference tool, people aren't using that every day. Maybe they've seen it once before. And if that thing does not work, they're going to blame the tool. If they're using Zoom or they're using Teams or something like that, that um, they're familiar with, then things go wrong. They're going to blame their internet. They're going to bring their computer, right? And so that was something that was a big um, driver for me in thinking about, you know, the tooling that I used and how, and how I built this. So we built the entire um, experience over Zoom, but, uh, but we definitely flexed it pretty hard, right? Like we, we had a, um, we had our video team logged into Zoom as a participant and, they handled all live video switching. So we were basically creating or producing a live TV show, if you will, that we were broadcasting into the Zoom for people to um, to consume. And, you know, we certainly learned a lot about, you know, um, some uh, how to produce something like that. And we, we started off, I had the video team investigating software back in, um, I would say, September. Um, and, and, you know, ultimately deciding on, which routes we wanted to go. And we were doing a few field tests and experimenting with a few things here and there. And also rolling with the punches, new developments, you know, Zoom came out with a, um, with an announcement, they were downgrading um, video streams to um, standard definition if there was like more than like two or three people in the room. And so we had to find a workaround for that. And so, you know, there, it's a, it's not a dull moment. It's a lot of attention to detail. Um, at the end of the day, we're just passionate about supporting the community of facilitators and bringing to, uh, an amazing experience to them that, um, that they'll, they'll always cherish and remember. And, um, and so it, it does take a lot of work, a lot of, a lot of um, just kind of just passion, but um, you know, you start early enough and you keep chipping away at it and you get there. But, but, you know, it's, it's interesting to talk about planning in September for something you ran in in February. But isn't that the same what we would have done if it was face-to-face? We would go scope out and check the venues. We would walk the rooms. We want to make sure that the layout is correct. Except what we're doing today is all digital platforms and all of that. People tend to forget that it takes almost the same amount of work if not a little bit more to make sure things go, you can't just say, okay, let me use this off the shelf platform that's gonna work. And you've got to create that user experience. Uh, we would say, is there enough parking for all, all the people attending the conference, right? Or what's who's next door? Is there a nightclub that's gonna just play stuff that's gonna disturb everybody, right? But it's the same principle. And, and I love the, user experience and the participant experience at your conference. So great job in that control the room. And I'm sure you've got some best practices that you can now leverage and make it even better in the next event. Uh, But I also thought one of the great thing was I could middle of the night for me, but I could participate from all the way from India without having to get on a plane. I'm sure there were other participants from different parts of the world. I, I, I thought I saw a couple of folks from Europe wouldn't normally have been part of your annual event. So there, there was great pluses there. But you were, you were happy. I'm assuming you got some great feedback coming back your way. Yeah, you know, overall, it was a huge success. Of course, there are some things that we might tweak and, um, you know, change next time. And that's going to be a tough decision. 
um, once we are able to do this again in person, I think that we'll probably probably be experimenting with some hybrid things, if not just some different options. You know, we might um, offer a virtual um, going forward as well as maybe some in-person options or, or maybe there's something that's done simultaneously, but you know, it's a little early to, to make the call on that, but um, yeah, overall really happy um, people walked away pretty excited and, you know, and made some friends. And so that's the, that's the, always the measure of success for me. Yeah. Great. Okay. So question uh, you, you do a lot of facilitator training and your design sprint training, helping others become good at this stuff. So what's your one piece of advice you would give to somebody entering the facilitation field today? What, what's what your, after everything we've been through in the last one year, what's, what's the. Mm-hmm. So re- remote specific or just well, facilitator in, in general um, facilitation specific. Yeah. You know, gosh, there's so many fundamentals that are, that are so important, but you know, I think, I'll just come back to purpose. Um, that one is so cr- crucial, and if we're not clear on it, it's gonna um, it's gonna get in our way big time. And in my new book, Magical Meetings, we talk about you know before the meeting, during the meeting, after the meeting. And one of the big before the meeting kind of tenets or principles is that let's get really clear on the purpose. And if we do that, we might actually realize that the meeting, the things we're doing in the meeting aren't serving our purpose or our purpose is kind of flimsy. If, if we really boil down the, the, the need for this meeting, we can't really justify it. And maybe we should cancel it. Also, if we're facilitating with purpose, then, um, you know, we're going to be more in tune with our values and we can make more clear operating agreements um, just so much stuff stems from that and just taking a, some time to s- sit down and explore that and make sure everyone's clear on it. Because if you got folks showing up for your session and they're not aligned on the purpose, that's probably that's the first thing you need to do. Um, or you should just figure that out. You know, you should have some way of assessing that. And the last thing you want to do is get halfway or to the end of this thing and then realize that, Hey, we already started off on the wrong foot. Um, and that's something that you can do ahead of the meeting. So just, and, you know, as you just said, Vinay, like all of this requires so much planning, even if we're in person, I would argue virtual requires even more planning because there's more assets to create more wayfinding issues. There's more people you need to coordinate because you got to bring in folks to assist with the tech and to keep an eye on things and give you, give you signals back that you would have just picked up naturally in the room. And so make sure that we're taking the time to slow down, to really survey things and get really explicit about that purpose before you start. No, that's absolutely true. My next question was going to be, we have a segment called RWL, uh, which is recommendations on things to read, watch, or listen. And Mm. Uh, you actually dropped the name of your book, Magical Meetings. <laughs> so is that book out yet? When is it coming out? Uh, what's it's going to be out on April 20th. Um, and we finally got an official release date, and it's April 20th. 
and I'm really excited. The books are actually at the printers now, so I know that's not going to get moved around again. So, uh, yeah, and we've got um, a lot of information at magicalmeetings.com where, you know, there's associated templates and assets from the book and articles on the blog and stuff. So that's a great place to go and kind of look around and, and, and see what see what we have to offer there. Um, yeah, it's like really, really excited to, 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 um, to be getting the book out. Awesome. So magicalmeetings.com listeners, uh, let's, uh, let's make Douglas's book go viral when it comes out. I'm, I'm assuming there's going to be a, uh, an ebook version coming out soon as well. Uh, but I'm sure we'll get it in Amazon and all the other places. Um, Brilliant. Thank you. Okay. My final question. We're called the shiny happy people podcast. I started it all about, you know, positivity and staying happy. So how have you kept yourself positive and happy in the last year, in the last few weeks of excitement that you've had? What's been your secret for positivity? Yeah. You know, I, I won't lie. There's definitely been, been days that are harder than others. It's, it's a lot to work through, but you know, I, I, from the, the one thing I'll say is I, I'm very aware of my privilege and, you know, I count my lucky blessings every day. There are people that have it much worse than me. Um, so per- perspective is, is huge, you know, just keeping it all in perspective and, and, um, and just being grateful for what we have and, um, and, finding the wonder in the world. Um, my friend, John loves to talk about taking nature baths. So, you know, getting outside and um, just getting amongst some flowers and trees can do so much for the psyche. Um, you know, I guess if I were to get into some, some more kind of tactical stuff, I, um, uh, I, 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 I bought a sauna. <laughs> um, oh, nice. It was one of my rituals that I lost with my gym I would every day I would go into the gym and I would go to the sauna. And um, so I, I realized there was something that was really important to me that I lost that I'd sacrificed. And so if there are things that, um, that are lost or sacrificed, find if there's, there are ways to replace them or even find surrogates or symbols for them, it'd be a really powerful way to, to feel still connected to that thing that's important. And, you know, to me also my commute was one of the things that was really kind of important to my sanity and my well-being, my happiness, um, because it was almost a form of meditation. You know, I'd have a 30 minute drive beginning of the day, the end of the day, and it was kind of a, where I'm just kind of focusing on the road and like um, not many other thoughts. And it was, it was like a transformation. I was transforming from my home life to my work life. Um, and so I found that, um, even if if I'm feeling a bit unsteady or um, a claustrophobic um, and, a, and a walk outside didn't seem to do the trick, sometimes I'll just go for a drive. Let's go for a 30 minute drive, just a, just a mindless loop. Um, you know, I don't really have an agenda or anywhere to go. Um, if I have an errand to run, maybe I'll just like do a silly errand, but it's um, really about getting out and having that reset moment. So. Um, that's been really helpful for me. And um, I think at the end of the day, having goals and setting tasks and being able to cross things off the list 
Um, so I, I've, I've got a side, not only am I running voltage control, but I've also been working on a software project. And that, that project um, for, um, for me has been maybe a distraction, <laughs> you know, where I could just like, when, when the voltage control work is done or I need to change a pace, I can go into control room and kind of work on specifications or even I even dusted off my development skills and I've been reaching in and, and fixing some things too. So I don't know, it's something about getting, getting hands on building stuff, making stuff that tends to make me feel great and, and feel positive. So it's, it's, I don't know, lots of tactics there and <laughs> maybe, uh, uh, maybe some resonate with some. Yeah. But, but I think what I see a trend is, combination of keeping yourself active, busy, useful, and calm, right? Everything rolled into different activities. I think that's uh, brilliant. Well, Douglas, thank you so much for joining us and really enjoyed the conversation despite the break that we took in the middle. Uh, and I'm glad uh, <laughs> all that snow's melted away. I, I, I'm guessing right after all of that, you must have had plenty of slush outside for a few days and uh, must have been more interesting as well but uh yeah thank thank you for joining us this has been brilliant yes thank you for having me it's been a pleasure and uh glad we were able to reconnect and get it completed yes you take care bye you too bye that was a fun conversation i really enjoyed catching up with douglas as you can see, it was a challenging conversation with all the snow and all the stuff that was happening in Austin. Hope you guys found that uh, conversation interesting. Drop, drop us some feedback. He's had a great journey. Feel free to reach out to him and all those resources he suggested. With that, it's over and out.